1970 saw the publication of a book called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey and Carol Carson. And it's about the end times, the last days, the time immediately before the return of Christ. It's a book that captured the imagination of the American people and of Christians around the world. It sold tens of millions of copies. Hal Lindsey went on to make a documentary by the same name. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. I found it on YouTube. And to start with, I just uh, clicked anywhere in the middle uh, just to see, just to get an idea of what it was like. And this is what Hal Lindsey was saying at the point where I, I just clicked in. He said, uh, I'm speaking to you today from the last battlefield on planet Earth. I think it was somewhere in Israel. It's out here that the last phases of history as we know it will be decided. We're not only told in the Bible what will happen here, but when. The exact sequence of events that will occur here are given in prophecy. That's what he said. And for many people, this kind of thing piques their interest. They think, wow, what's going on here? What does he know uh, that I don't? But invariably, this kind of teaching is based on a misinterpretation of scripture. How Lindsay believes that the, the end times, the last days, can be read as a very clear sequence of events. However, to reach that conclusion, he's misinterpreted various passages in the Bible, including Matthew 24, uh, which we started looking at last week. We're picking up again today, and we'll be looking at next week as well. So today, we're going to see what Matthew 24 really has to say. Uh, firstly, about the past, but then also about the future. So you'll remember that when Jesus was leaving the Jerusalem temple for the last time, the disciples were admiring this magnificent building. And Jesus said something really quite shocking. He told them that the whole building, the whole temple, would be utterly destroyed. Now on hearing this, it seems that the disciples we're expecting three things to happen simultaneously. And we can see that from their question. They asked, when will this happen? When will the temple be destroyed? And then, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So when the temple is destroyed, they're expecting Jesus to come in power and to bring with him the end of time and history as they knew it. That's what they had in their sort of mind's eye. The disciples expected three things to happen at the same time. Temple destroyed, Jesus returns, end of the age. But when Jesus answers them, he actually points to two events that would occur in the future from their perspective. Uh, one would occur in their lifetime, the other would not. But Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to tell you about two events. That doesn't become obvious until after the first event has taken place. So our reading begins with Jesus quoting the prophet Daniel. He says, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation. He says, when you see this, this is what it means. But what is the abomination that causes desolation? Well, an abomination is a personal thing that causes disgust or loathing. And desolation is a state of complete emptiness or destruction. 
So this loathsome person or thing is going to bring desolation. It's going to bring destruction to the Jerusalem temple and to the whole system of worship. Now, you remember that this is a prophecy from the book of Daniel written around 600 BC, 600 years before Christ. And two weeks ago, we heard about Antiochus Epiphanes, whose armies invaded uh, Jerusalem and took control of it, and Antiochus Epiphanes uh, sacrificed pigs on the altar of the temple. That was in the year 167 BC, 167 years before Jesus came on the scene. So in one sense, Daniel's prophecy had already been fulfilled. But Jesus is saying this is going to happen again, and it's going to be a lot worse. He went on to say, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on a Sabbath. It's hard to read that without thinking about Ukraine, isn't it? In fact, my cousin had to flee Russia this week with his wife and children. Uh, He's married to a Russian lady. They just left everything behind. And we've all seen the images of terrified people fleeing the beleaguered city of Kiev. People who left homes and possessions and loved ones, uh, no time to pack, just a mad rush to the train station or straight in the car uh, with whatever they had, trying to make the Poland border. And how awful to be pregnant in that situation, knowing that you have to get out and knowing that you could go into labor at any moment. In fact, I saw one report of a woman who gave birth, I think she was in an underground car park. What a bittersweet experience, a healthy baby born in the midst of a city that's being reduced to rubble. And this is happening in a Ukrainian winter We've seen images of women from a maternity hospital being uh, stretched out into the snow and into the cold. Sadly, we're all too familiar with these images. It's on our screens all the time at the moment. But the siege Jesus spoke of was to happen to Jerusalem. And it did happen in AD 70. Within the the disciples' lifetime, or at least within the lifetime of those who hadn't yet been martyred. In March of AD 70, in the final stage of putting down a Jewish uh, rebellion, the Romans laid siege to Jerusalem, and it was a time of unparalleled suffering. The citizens of Jerusalem turned on one another. Uh, Many people were murdered. Uh, There was a great famine that claimed thousands and thousands of lives. Uh, When Roman legions entered Jerusalem, they found it littered with bodies because uh, no one had the energy to bury the dead. There were even reports of cannibalism. The Jewish historian Josephus claimed that 1.1 million people died in the siege and capture of Jerusalem that lasted about six months. And to put that in perspective, the global population in the first century was only about 200 million. So for a million people, or more than a million people, to die in one siege, it's just absolutely unimaginable. 
the temple was one of the last bastions of the rebellion to fall. And when the Roman soldiers broke in, they indiscriminately slaughtered um, innocent, unarmed, weak citizens who were hiding within. Again, Josephus wrote, Round the altar the heaps of corpses grew higher and higher, while down the sanctuary steps poured a river of blood. This is in the temple, the most holy place. And the bodies of those killed at the top slithered to the bottom. It's a grotesque image. And of course, the temple was subsequently completely destroyed. When you see standing in the holy place, is Jesus' words. When you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation. In other words, when you see this atrocity occurring in the temple, that will spell the end of temple worship, that system of worship. And that's what happened. During and after an event like that, people look for a leader, a Messiah figure, to lift them out of their pain and despair. Uh, Those kind of events leave a vacuum, and that vacuum can be filled by all kinds of leaders, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But Jesus predicted that many would come claiming to be the Messiah. The more desperate people are, the more they'll be attracted to any glimmer of hope. You can imagine a dispirited and broken people having their hopes raised and then dashed again repeatedly. Look, here's the Messiah. There he is. He's out there in the wilderness. Everyone goes rushing. And Jesus says, no, no, you're not going to find what you're looking for in any human leader or phony Messiah. Don't be deceived by them. With hindsight, many of Jesus' words in Matthew 24 can be mapped onto the events of AD 70. But Hal Lindsay, the author of the late great planet Earth, attempts to map this and many other biblical passages onto future events. Now, there is very definitely a future element to what Jesus was saying, but it's not like you can map out these events uh, and, and just tick them off and work out exactly when Jesus will come, as Hal Lindsay and others would, would have us believe. But we'll come to that. In verse 24, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. And we can see that Daniel's prophecy and all the events surrounding it were fulfilled within the lifetime of the generation that Jesus spoke to with that terrible event, the siege and the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple. So what Jesus said did happen within the lifetime of those who heard him. So that was the first event, the event that in the middle distance, if you like. Now we come to the second event, the event in the far distance, the event that we are still waiting for with hopeful anticipation, the return of Jesus and the end of the age, the end of time and history as we know it. And someone might say, great, this is a bit where we get to make all kinds of crazy and unfounded predictions and start mapping out these events onto current world events so that we can work out that Jesus was supposed to come three weeks ago. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. But we do need to take seriously what Jesus said and understand what it means for us today. Firstly, Jesus is coming back. 
There is no doubt about that. The New Testament is replete with references about Jesus' return. For example, in John 14, Jesus said, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. When Jesus was taken up into heaven after the resurrection, remember after the resurrection, he appeared to the disciples. He appeared to a lot of people over a period of 40 days, up to 500 people in one go. And then he was taken up into heaven and the disciples were kind of left gawking up into the sky. And the book of Acts tells us that two men in white, presumably angels, God's messengers, said this. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation 3.11, Jesus says again, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. And if we were to ask the question, when will this happen? The answer is, we don't know. Jesus didn't even know. As the man who was and is God, he divested himself of the divine ability to know all things. But he did say that his return would be sudden and unexpected. We'll be looking at that next week. But if we were to ask the question, what are the signs that Jesus is going to return, which is actually what the disciples asked him, this passage has a lot to say to us about that. The signs don't help us to determine a date. In fact, they don't help us to narrow it down at all. But they do reassure us that Jesus is coming back. And the first sign is the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus claimed that God was doing something new that the old covenant had been fulfilled and that he was bringing in the new covenant, a new way of doing things, a new way of drawing near to God. That means that the temple and the whole sacrificial system, that system of worship, is no longer needed. Jesus' words and the judgment that he pronounced on the temple because the worship there had become so corrupt were vindicated when God allowed the temple to be destroyed within the lifetime of those who had rejected Jesus. Of course, if Israel had received Jesus as their Messiah, they would never have gone down the route of armed rebellion against the Romans and that whole disaster, that tragedy, may well have been averted. Jesus saw ahead of time the consequences of their rejection of him, which is why when he entered Jerusalem, he broke down, he wept. He wept over that city because he knew what would happen. They would reject him and they would try and push the Romans out by force. So that's the destruction of the temple. We see another sign in verse 14. And this gospel, the good news, of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Well, the whole Bible, the Old and the New Testament, has been translated into 717 languages. 
The New Testament on its own has been translated into 1,582 languages, and other portions of the Bible have been translated into a further 1,196 languages. Jesus knew that the gospel, that his words, that his message would go out to all of the world before he returned. How did he know that? If he wasn't who he claimed to be, how did he know that? Was it just a lucky guess? Again, this isn't a way to narrow down the date. We can't say, all oh, right, when, when uh, the gospel has been translated into every language in the world, well, then we can expect Jesus within a few weeks. We can't do that. Similarly, we can't say, well, when every human being has heard the name of Jesus, then he'll return instantly. That's not what he said. But we do know that these things have to happen first. The destruction of the temple and the proclamation of the gospel in general terms. And those things have happened. Many of the other events that Jesus talks about in chapter 24 could be specific to the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. And yes, throughout the centuries, there have been plenty who have claimed to be the Messiah. Uh, There's a bloke in Kingaroy at the moment, a guy called Alan John Miller, who claims to be the uh, reincarnation of Jesus. And would you believe, uh, very timely, it's the first time this has happened, but I received a phone call this week from someone who claimed to be Jesus. Um, And it was a very interesting conversation. He actually said to me at one point, how do you know I'm not Jesus? And I said, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible in the west, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Actually, I didn't say that. I couldn't remember it. <laughs> I, th- I think I said something like, you know, when Jesus returns, it'll be immediately obvious. It'll be like lightning that you see all over the sky. I kind of paraphrased it. I'm fumbling for words. It threw me, to be honest. Not an everyday conversation. But isn't it good that Jesus warned us about these things? that people would come pretending to be the Messiah. And I think many will be more convincing than the the guy I spoke to on the phone. And yes, there is chaos within our global society. There are wars and rumors of wars and pandemics and natural disasters. But the world has always experienced these things. You know, we can get into the mindset of thinking, yeah, things are going to be really bad before Jesus returns. And that might be true. I suspect it is true. But we don't know that for sure. And we certainly can't deduce it from this passage. We need to be careful. We need to be careful that we don't lure ourselves into a false sense of security. Ah, Jesus isn't coming anytime soon. Things are nowhere near bad enough yet. Because if we think like that, Jesus will come when we least expect him and find us napping. Hang on a minute. Isn't that exactly what Jesus warned us about? The late great planet Earth aficionados will be busy checking off their list of specific events that are supposed to occur, and then Jesus will appear in the middle of them and mess it all up. He'll come when they and we least expect him. And that's what we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks. Jesus, his person, his purpose... And his teaching has been vindicated by various signs. The destruction of the temple. 
the global spread of the gospel, the ongoing chaos in human society and in nature. It's amazing that Jesus knew all these things would continue. There's no reason why he would know that. The persecution of Christians, we we looked at that last week. These are all signs that don't tell us exactly when Jesus is going to return, but they do tell us that Jesus was and is who he said he is, and he's promised to return, and he will. The end times, the last days, began. They began with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We don't know how long they will last, but Jesus promises that they will come to an end when he returns to make all things new at an unspecified moment in the future. We need to make sure that we're ready. And that's what we're going to be looking at next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see from the words of your son Jesus a whole load of things that have happened and are happening And we know that that Christ can return at any time. We pray, Father, that we will live as people who are ready for your return in the person of Jesus. That we are people who live in the knowledge that there is so much more to this world than what can be seen and touched. And that we know that history is moving towards a climatic point. And we pray that as a church we'll be able to tell others this good news, this amazing news. That Jesus has promised to come back. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.